0: Well, good to see you guys. It's so great to be able to minister uh, from the Word this morning. Thanks, Pastor Ryan, for uh, giving me this opportunity. Uh, I'm continuing our series called How is This Possible? And we're looking at the time period between Jesus' uh, crucifixion, resurrection, and the ascension leading up to a series in a few weeks about the Holy Spirit and about Pentecost and about the coming of the Holy Spirit um, in the early church and about the impact it has in our life today. And so, what we're, we're, so we're talking about this time period, and I love the question, how is this possible? How is this possible? And I, the reason I love this question is because you can ask it a couple different ways. Um, One way is we look at the miraculous encounters um, of the resurrection of Christ, of his ascension, of what he does in and through the disciples. Even some of the stories that I'm going to read today and talk about from Scripture are like, how is this possible? Like, wow, this is so amazing. And on the flip side of the coin, we see great despondency, great, great confusion in the disciples following the crucifixion of Jesus of just... And this perplexity of life of, how is this possible? Like, just how is this possible? And so we're going to talk about that this morning. Have you ever had a time of uncertainty or a time of perplexity in your life? Pastor Ryan, a while ago, he, he had us pray for those who are going through a moment just like that, right? just like this right now. And if that's not you, it was you or it will be you, right? Because it all we all go through times of uncertainty and of being perplexed, of, hopelessness, of being bewildered, of confused, and and of just living life and in this moment of just how is this possible? And so the disciples were in a situation like this. The disciples following the crucifixion of Jesus so they fully understood what was going on, uh, they were perplexed, they were confused, they were disoriented. And 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 they're like, how is all of this even possible? And so one of the one of the interesting things we're gonna see this morning is that uh, at the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, there's 40 days that he spends with the disciples. And one reason I find that so interesting is that, that at the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry, he spent 40 days in the wilderness in prayer and fasting. That's at the front end of his earthly ministry. And at the back end of his earthly ministry, there's 40 days that he spends with the disciples, uh, getting preparing them for when he was going to ascend into heaven and then be sending the Holy Spirit. And so he, he, he orientates them towards this concept of inward, outward, and upward. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. Will you turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1? So we're going to be in Acts chapter 1 and in Luke 24. Acts chapter 1, Luke 24. Uh, turn to Acts chapter 1 first. Luke, uh, who is a physician, Dr. Luke, is the author of both Luke and Acts, uh, their sequels. Um, he, uh, and he, he writes in, in, in verse 1 of Acts 1, he says, "In my First book, O Theophilus, and Theophilus, um, according to the most ancient church tradition was an, was an individual person that he was writing to. but one thing that I think is is interesting is that the name Theophilus means friend of God, and so when I read this, it says, in my first book, O Friend of God, and I believe luke 's writing it to you and me as well because we 're friends of God and so and he says in my first book, O Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach, and he 's referring to the book of luke and so you could, you could lay part of Acts 1 over Luke 24 because it, it, it's, the, it's the sequel. It continues. It's, it's like when you're watching Netflix, right, and you go to season 2. And the beginning of season 2 tells you about whatever the show was about in season 1. So here we have, um, we have Netflix telling us. We have Dr. Luke telling us uh, what happened in season 1. Uh, and he says, In season 1, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up into heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them with many convincing proofs. Many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a span of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. We know that he appeared to over 500 people. That's one of the ways we know that the resurrection is a historical reality because of the number of witnesses that there were and then what happened from them. One of of my favorite greatest quotes regarding the resurrection is from a guy named Chuck Colson, and I don't know if you've heard of him or not. Um, He was actually once known as President Nixon's hatchet man. Uh, He was part of the Watergate scandal. He He went to jail. I am grateful I'm grateful to say I don't remember Watergate. I don't remember President Nixon. Um, I've heard about it. I've read about it. And, and, I, and but I love this quote. And so he was—he was one of the Watergate Seven. He came to Christ after, uh, you know, kind of in the middle of all this. Before he went to jail, he read Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, and just became—he started prison fellowship. Just became a just a great worker in, in the Kingdom of the Lord. But this is his quote regarding the resurrection. And it's so interesting because it's about this this period right here that we're talking about. He says, I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified that they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured that if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep a lie for three weeks. (laughs) And you're telling me 12 apostles could keep a lie for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. And I love that. So how is this possible? So all that we're going to talk about is possible because of three ways. And the first way is what I'm calling inward. See, Jesus comes to his disciples, he comes to them and addresses their inward need. Uh, Pastor Ryan talked about this last week when Jesus restored Peter, but he comes and he encourages, he restores, he comforts them. And when we find ourselves in confusing seasons, he comes to us as well to address our inward needs. And so we're going to look at an occurrence this morning in Luke 24, so you can turn to Luke 24, verse 13. I don't have it up on the screen because there's a lot of text and we're just going to kind of walk through it. I'm going to paraphrase some of it. But it's this what we call the road to Emmaus encounter. And so Luke tells us a story in Luke 24 of these two disciples. These are not part of the original 12, but there's two disciples, and they're, they're headed from Jerusalem. It's, the, it's Resurrection Sunday. It's the day of the resurrection. Uh, they've heard uh, that Jesus wasn't the tomb. They couldn't find him. And they're walking, they're seven to eight miles back from Jerusalem to their village of Emmaus. And, 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 and they're talking, and, and one of the guys, we don't know both of their names, but one of the guy's names is Cleopas. Now, I'm convinced that Cleopas is from Louisiana. <laughs> because he sounds like he's from Louisiana, right? Cleopas. So Cleopas and his buddy, his friend, some, somebody was with him. They were walking the seven miles. Verse 13 says, And about the same day, two of them are going to a village called Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem, and they're talking to each other about what happened. And they're discussing. The Greek there um, indicates that they were having a, a vehement conversation. So Cleopas and his buddy, they're talking, they're arguing, they're they're discussing, they're dissecting, they're. They're doing what we do. They're processing life. And they're talking about all that's occurred, all that's happened, their hopes, their disappointments, their frustrations, all of this. They're talking about all of this. And along the way, Jesus comes up and begins walking alongside of them. He's walking alongside them, but they were kept from recognizing him. Now, we have a, a number on the screen, and you can text this number anytime. And, and if you have some questions about today's, today's um content or, or something you'd like answered. And, and, and I think one of the questions would probably be, well, how were they kept from recognizing him? So I'm going to go ahead and answer that. And the deep theological answer is, I don't know. I don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us. Uh, um, we don't know if the Lord kept them from from, uh, from recognizing him or their own, whatever they were going through. We, we really don't know. But what we do know is that they didn't recognize Jesus. But I think there's some I think there's something we can learn from this. A couple of things. One is that Jesus comes to us in common, unexpected ways. They were home on their way, on their commute, basically. They're on their way home. They don't recognize it, it's him. He just comes to them in this, the, the most common way, yet they don't recognize him in their present circumstances. You know, I'm like that. I'm like, I can be going through stuff, and Jesus is right there with me, and I don't even recognize him. I mean, you can just call me J. Cleopas Bean because I'm just like Cleopas in this story. I'm just like him. I can be bewildered. I can be puzzled. I can be frustrated. I can be going through life, and Jesus is there. And he's there, and and yet I don't recognize him. And I think we expect him to make these grand entrances into our life. Uh, Pastor Ryan, he did a series called, uh, Who is this King? Talking about how, how this king and this kingdom is different than any other king in any other, any other kingdom. I mean, even when Jesus came to earth, he came as a baby. No grand entrance, right? And we, I mean, we wish when Jesus would show up in our life, it'd be, ta-da, here I am. Here to save the day. But it doesn't happen like that. He comes in unobtrusively, and we have to invite him in. We have to invite him into our conversation. We have to invite him into our life. We have to invite him into our marriages, invite him into our church, invite him into our homes, invite him into our workplaces. As we invite him in, he does, and he comes, and he ministers us, and he he helps them inwardly. I love that he seeks them out. Jesus goes to them. They're on their way home. They're perplexed. They're discouraged. Inwardly, they're messed up. They don't know what's going on. And Jesus goes after them. He seeks them out. I'm here to tell you, friend. He is seeking you out. He is coming after you. He knows your name, whether it's Cleopas or not. He knows your name, and he's coming to you in the midst of that. And so he 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 comes up to them and and he asks them. He goes, "What are you guys talking about?" And I, I love. I mean, it's Jesus, right? And he, he knows, but he said, what are you guys talking about as you walk along the road? And they're, they're, they stood still, their faces downcast. And one of them named Cleopas asked him, he said, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And Jesus, he just plays coy. He replies, what things? What are you talking about? I mean, he doesn't lie, right? He doesn't say no. He just says, well, what things? What are you, what are you talking about? And I love, I love that he actually, I love that he plays coy because he wants to be invited in. So I mean, he wants to be invited in. And he goes, and, 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 and Cleopas says, about Jesus of Nazareth, they said, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. But the chief priests and rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. And verse 21 is key. It says, but we had hoped, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. We had hoped, and you read it right there, you see there his despondency. You see his struggle. You see his, oh, man, but, but we, we had hoped. Have you been there? But like I had hoped. I thought something else was going to happen. I had, I had different expectations of God. I had different expectations of those around me. Things didn't play out like I expected. but we had hoped we had hoped and what is more it is the third day since all this took place in addition some of our women amazed us now in looking this researching this i ran across the message paraphrase and where it says some of our women amazed us the message paraphrase says some of our women completely confused us i wonder if that should be a sermon series probably not. <laughs> some of our women completely confused us. They completely amazed us, like we're perplexed. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen visions of angels who said he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see Jesus. And then Jesus says to them, but they don't, they don't know it's Jesus, but he says to them, How foolish are you guys? How slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. How slow to believe. You know, really, that's our only job. Really, our only job is to believe and just to respond to that. I mean, Jesus has done all the heavy lifting, right? He's crucified on a cross, He's buried, He's risen from the dead, He's appearing. I would say he did all the heavy lifting, right? And he's saying, I have done all of this. All you have to do is believe, and you're slow to believe. And when I read this, I was convicted because I'm often slow to believe. I don't want to be slow to believe. I want to be quick to believe. I want to be quick to believe reports about when I hear testimonies of what God has done. I want to be quick to believe when when I'm reading scripture and it becomes illuminated to my heart. I want to be quick to believe the promises of God and what he says. and, and, And he says, you guys are slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into glory? You see. Their expectations hadn't been met. They didn't expect Jesus to have to suffer. They didn't expect him for things to happen the way they happened. They expected Rome to be overthrown. They expect their expectations were not met, and they had lost hope, and they were slow to believe. They didn't understand that the suffering Christ had to go through the crucifixion before there'd be a resurrection. They didn't understand that there has to be death before there's life, that unless a kernel of, of wheat falls to the ground in and his is, and is, and is trampled it is buried it's only then that it gives life Jesus tells us that 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 the newness of life comes after death and so it 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 just it, it blows their mind they were slow to believe and I love this part verse 27 it says in beginning with Moses and all the prophets he explained it in what was said in all the scripture concerning himself how great would that be for Jesus the word of God to open up his words and fully explain them, and he he basically made the connection of the messianic promises, the promises about Jesus, all through Scripture. You know, what I think it was kind of like you guys remember last week when Pastor Ryan read through each book of the Bible, revelation of who Jesus is in each one of those. You guys remember that? I think that's about like what Jesus was doing. He was he was explaining who he was in each one, in each in each passage of Scripture. And I love what happens here in verse 28. And they approached the village to which they were going, and Jesus continued on as, he was, as if he was going to go further. He continued on as if he wanted to go further because he wanted to be invited in. Just as he wanted to be invited into their conversation, he wanted to be invited into their home. He wasn't going to push himself in. He wasn't going to force himself in. He wanted to be invited in. And, but they urged, they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. And so he went in with them. You guys remember a couple of weeks ago when Pastor Ryan showed that picture of the door and he quoted the passage out of Revelation. It says, I'm behold him at the door and I knock. And if any man will open the door, I'll come in and I'll eat with him. I'll sup with him. I'll fellowship with him. I'll abide with him. It's the same kind of concept here. That's what they were doing. They were inviting him in. And we invite Jesus in. We invite him to abide in us. We invite him to come. He comes and he does that inward work in us that only he can do, that that only he can do in our lives. And so in verse 30, I have it up on the screen. And when, they, when he was at the table with them, he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and began to give it to them. Now, this was probably a regular meal. Uh, the Last Supper had just been instituted uh, the Thursday night. Before this was Sunday, it had been instituted on Thursday night. But there was a reflection back to Passover. So scholars, you know, there's back and forth on this, regardless of what it is, when he broke the bread and when he blessed it, which we're going to do in just a little bit. And here at the end of the service, we're going to have communion. And as we, the, the bread that is broken, as it's blessed, it's not just, it's not just a snack after church, right? Like this is a holy moment. This is a moment we come to the Lord's table we call it the Lord's Supper where we come and as we enter in full faith, we believe that there's spiritual transaction going on, that there's, that there's healing that happens, as there's restoration that happens, as that as miracles can happen as we fully embrace all that Jesus has done for us on the cross and by his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And we're so grateful for that. As he does this, uh, they're, they're, they have revelation. Their eyes are opened, it says in verse 31, and they recognize him. And then what does he do? He disappears. <laughs> he disappears. How does that happen? I don't know. But it does. It's How is this possible is a great <laughs> sermon series. Because how is this possible? It's supernatural. And they, they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? This revelation that came as he as he opened their heart to who he was and to what his word said, that their heart burned within them of the truth, of the reality of who Jesus is, of him ministering, of him addressing that inner need in, in their lives. You know, I as I think about this occurrence, as I think about this, it's amazing that the monumental happened in the middle of the mundane. The, something monumental happened in the middle of the mundane. The, monu, the mundane was that they were just they were just on their commute home from Jerusalem. The mundane is they were just in their house eating dinner. But in the middle of that mundane, something monumentous happened. And it was that Jesus showed up. Jesus revealed himself. Jesus met their inward need. And I want to make application of this. Heather and I were talking about this last night as we were driving down the road of this text and this passage, and it was actually her, her, her phrasing of, the, of the, the, the miraculous, the monumental and the mundane, and we just began to talk about how important the mundane moments of life are, and how Jesus wants to show up in them. And we may not think much about taking our kids to school, or, or bringing our kids home from school, just that commute, or, or sitting around the dinner table, and how important these conversations are, how critical. And there's just in the, even in the mundane that Jesus can show up and that he can change our lives and he can change the trajectory of our kids' lives in the middle of what we would just consider mundane. But when Jesus is there, they can be monumental. And so Jesus disappears. So he's gone. And everybody's like, ah. And, and so they, they head back to Jerusalem And so they go to Jerusalem. As they head to Jerusalem, they show up. They go back to where the disciples are, and they they find the 11, and they they all get together, and they're saying, it's true, he's risen. Yeah, he's risen, he's risen, he's risen. And they begin to tell the stories, and then Jesus shows up right in the room. And again, how is this possible? But it's, it's a miraculous work of God. And he comes to them, and in this moment, he has addressed their inward need, and he has encouraged them, he's restored them, he comforts them. And so, when we find ourselves in these seasons, he does the same to us, but he doesn't just address their inward need. Then he turns, and after he ministers to them inwardly, he turns their attention outward. He turns their attention outward. Look at this Luke 24, 46 through 48. He tells them, This is what was written The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. Beginning at Jerusalem, you are witnesses of all these things. You're witnesses of all these things. <clears throat> I apologize, I <clears throat> I have a I've had a catch in my in my throat. I told first service this. I so before first service I I had a a breakfast taco. And so if you're if you're I mean, we are, our dream teams here they're spoiled, right? Our our teams that come and serve, I mean, it's great to serve Jesus and serve his church, but we get breakfast tacos, right? So I had one before first service and I got a piece of egg or something caught. And so I, I struggled with it first service. So it made logical sense to have another one between services with our, (laughs) right? Between our second, with our second service dream team, just to try to push it on down. And it's better, but not a hundred percent. So sorry for coughing in the mic. You to join a dream team. We have great breakfast tacos. And so he he tells them, You are witnesses of these things. So what is a witness? Right? What is it? We, we know what a witness is, right? A witness is someone who has seen and observed something or someone and has an experience, right? That's a witness. In a court of law, if a witness is called, what are they, they 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 see what they, they tell what they've seen. They tell what they've experienced. This is simple, right? That's and that's what Jesus says who we are. He says, speaking of the disciples, but it's us. We're his disciples. You will be my witnesses. You are the witnesses of what I've done. He doesn't say we're the prosecutors, okay? He doesn't say we're the judges. He says we're the witnesses. We're the witnesses of what he has done. Witnesses of what Jesus has done to us. Uh, in, In our first service huddle, our huddle is when our dream team gathers together and we pray and we have a devotional and and one of our Dream Team members gave the devotional uh, before first service huddle. And she told the story about how she's worked remote this last year. And, you know, everything's on Zoom or online. She's working from home. But she decided that she's going to live out loud for Jesus. that she's, you know, not going to be obnoxious, but she's not going to hide the fact that she's a follower of Christ. And she's going to talk about that. And she's going to let it be known. And, and she said Friday when they were getting off the, their call with her coworkers that she's never met, never worked with personally, it's only online that one of her coworkers said, hey, I want you to know that, that I'm praying now. I'm praying because of you, because of your influence. She is being a witness. Excuse me, this is breakfast tacos getting me. <laughs> She's a witness of what God has done. You know, I read an occurrence this week. of a, There was a convention just this last week, like I think, like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday of this week in Louisville, Kentucky. Did I say that right, Heather? Louisville. Louisville. Um, she said I said Louisville earlier, and she's like, she's Southern. She's like, it's not Louisville. It's Louisville. It's kind of like Cleopas, right? <laughs> and so in Louisville, they had a they had this convention. It's called Together for the Gospel. Twelve thousand evangelical leaders within a ten block area of downtown Louisville, and. And, and so they're, they're everywhere, they're there for three days. they're going to the restaurants, they're going to the hotels. they're everywhere. And so two pastors are, they, they had this thought they're having coffee, and they thought, "You know what? If 10,000 of us are in downtown Louisville this week, that it ought to make a difference. Like there ought to be a fragrance of Christ." And they said, let 's just do an experiment. let's just go around and talk to different people that are working in the different industries, the coffee shops, the restaurants, the hotels. Let's let's just ask a couple questions. Let's ask number one: How have you been? How have you been? You know, or I think one question was: Did you notice there's a large number of people, and everybody said yes. But how were you treated this week? And do you know what kind of group this was? And so they began to go around and ask. They asked the baristas. They asked the the servers. They asked the front desk clerk. And there were a few exceptions, but the preponderance of the replies were: We were treated rudely. We were treated badly. It was a mess. It was was a terrible week. And then when they asked the second question, do you know why they were here? majority of people didn't even know why the people were there, but the ones that did said, yeah, it was some kind of Jesus thing or some kind of church thing. And they just commented in this article, and these are their peers. Like this wasn't like, they weren't trying to slam anybody. They were just talking about how sad it was that what should have changed the city actually was opposite. And that is not what this passage is talking about. It's talking about that as we go, we are witnesses to the goodness of God. And we are witnesses to what he has done. We are witnesses to what he he wants to do. Like That's a sad story, isn't it? I know that's not the story that we want of our life. There we go. There would be the fragrance of Christ. and In fact, Matthew's version of what's happened here is Matthew 28, 18 through 20. I have it on the screen. It says, And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So he has all authority, and he says, Therefore, go. The Greek here seems to to indicate is as you go. As you go, he says, Therefore, go, or as you go, make disciples of all nations baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So he's saying, as you go, as you go, as you go get coffee, as you go to school, as you go to work, as you go to a restaurant, as you get gas, as you go to church, wherever it is, as you go, make disciples. Make disciples. What what does it mean to make disciples, right? I mean, that... That sounds heavy, right? That sounds hard. And I just wrote down the most simple definition that that I understand of what discipleship is. And it's simply to do to and for others what has been done to and for you. That's all Jesus is asking us to do is to go and do to others what's been done to us in the name of Christ and to do for others what's been done for us in the name of Christ. If you don't like what's been done to and for you in the name of Christ, then do to others what you wish someone would have done to and for you. That's discipleship. As you go, as you go. Now, they would have been happy staying in Jerusalem. They would have liked that. They were comfortable. But because of persecution, because of difficulty, they, were, they, had, to, they had to flee, and they end up going to the uttermost parts of the earth. In fact, we know that Doubting Thomas, remember we talked about Thomas a few weeks ago? Doubting Thomas, his life was so radically, so radically changed, he ended up going to India and establishing churches in India. And there's still churches today from the time of this a progression of faith, from the time of, of here, of, of Thomas. He says, "As you go, make disciples of all nations." Because he had turned their folk, he was changing their, their focus to outward, right? Because if not, we'll, just, we'll stay in focused on us, won't we, on what we like and what we want?" He goes, no, it's about others. He's done this work inwardly, so now we can go and we can be ministers of this gospel of reconciliation. And so he goes into, he tells him to go into all nations. Now, we hear the word nations, right? Like we think of the United States, we think of Mexico, we think of Canada, we think of China, we think of Russia, we think of Ukraine. We think of these uh, geopolitical borders, and that's not what he's talking about here. The Greek here actually is ethnos, which is not a geographic area, but it's a people group. And the reason I want to just point this out is because... What we're doing in the Amazon through Medical Ministry International, through I, 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 it's funny, I was talking to Juan Allen last week when he was here and I call him our partner down there and he goes, he goes, we're not your partners, he goes, we're the Lifehouse Amazon campus, that's what we are, and I'm like, yeah, I like that. So our Lifehouse Amazon campus is, I mean, they are reaching six ethnic groups. Six distinct ethnic groups with different dialects, different languages. They don't even have the Bible in every one of these languages, but yet there's this is what he's talking about. He's like, take the gospel to every ethnicity, every tribe, every tongue, every person, every group, and he's saying to do this, and that's what, that's what God has called us to do, to reach all of these nations. Do you know that for Christian causes, there's about 700 billion dollars given every year, but only 0.1% is used to actually reach the unreached. The vast, vast, vast majority of all ministry, time, money, everything, is for people already reached. So little is used, one less than 1%. Um, a foreign wor- missionaries, 3% are actually reaching the unreached people of the world Uh, full-time christian workers less than one percent are in unreached areas but yet it is it's it's 42 percent of the world's population is unreached unreached people groups for the gospel 3.4 or 3.14 billion but guys i'm here to tell you i'm thankful to be a part of a church to be a part of life house that the majority of our missions money goes to reach unreached people groups. Like the majority of what goes into missions here goes to reach these villages in the Amazon that don't have a church, that don't have a gospel witness. That if we don't do this, nobody else is gonna do it. And so we get to be a part of this. We get to fulfill the great commissions. We're talking about this because of what he's done for us inwardly as we go, as we go to unnamed coffee shops, because there's about four of them I like. Um, as we go to barbecue restaurants, as we, as we go get food, as we go to the Amazon, as you give money, as you pray, all of these different ways, it's not either or, it's and all. When we do all of these things, we are making disciples, because our focus isn't inward. He's worked inwardly so that our focus can be outward, and so that we can, he can use us to reach others. And as he uses us to reach others, then he helps us, he helps them and he helps us turn our focus upward. Turn our focus upward. This is the last point. Luke 24, verse 52, 53. And this is what he says to them. He goes, behold, this is what Jesus says. I'm sending the promise of my father upon you, but remain in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. And when Jesus had led them out as far as Bethany, he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he turned them, I mean, he left them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, praising God continually in the temple. Luke puts it this way in Acts chapter 1, verse 4. And he says, And while they were gathered together, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift the Father promised, which you've heard me discuss, For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And that's, we're getting ready to go into a series in just a couple weeks on the Holy Spirit. And this is what it's all about. Like he's he's causing them to look upward, to gaze upward, because there's a promise coming from the Father that's going to make it where it's going to be possible for them to be witnesses. Because you know that word witness? That word witness, the root word of that word witness is martyr. Ah, I don't like that. But it was true of them and even of us, even if it's not physically, he's called us to lay down our life. Lay down our life for the sake of the gospel to, so his kingdom could be advanced. And so he says this, so when they came together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Because they're still caught up on this other kingdom that Pastor Ryan was talking about. He's like, no, it's not like that. And Jesus replied, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons. The father fixed by his own authority. But here we go. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses, be my martyrs. You'll, you'll give your, your life for the sake of the gospel to tell what he's done in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. How is this possible? It's possible because of the promise of power that's to come. The promise of the power of the Holy Spirit. He said, it's better if I go away. Because if I go away, then I can send the Comforter, I can send the Holy Spirit. Because if Jesus stayed, they would let him do all the work. He said, oh, it's better that I go, and then I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and he's going to fill you. And, he, and after he had said this, they watched as he was taken up, and a cloud hit him from their sight. And they were looking intently into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. I, so get this picture. They're looking up. Jesus is ascending into heaven physically, and they're, oh. And then all of a sudden, there's these two guys, there's these two angels like, what's up? What you guys doing? And... I love, I love scripture. (laughs) And he says, he said, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven, he will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. He ascends to his rightful place because he is the Lord of lords. He is the King of kings and he is ruling at the right hand of the father, making intercession for us. And he who suffered is now triumphant and he is and he's promised here of his return. And we can trust that he will return because he who, who ascended into heaven will physically come again. And we can trust him that he will, do what he, he will do what he said he would do because he did what he said he would do. He came the first time. He was victorious. He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven. He's promised to come again, our triumphant King and Lord. Would you bow in prayer with me?